our leaders. If you think about a lot of the leaders of the last generation of very successful companies, you know, the, let's call them the Facebooks of the world, the Ubers of the world, they weren't very empathetic or uh, <laughs> loving leaders, let's say, right? So. Very mm. successful companies, don't get me wrong, that have changed the world. I'll give them that um, and made tons of money and, and changed how we, how we all live. So you have to respect the, the, <laughs> the innovation and the impact there. But in terms of like making people happier or making the people around them feel good, not necessarily the reputation they have, right? Not and I think you. that I think that the next generation is that uh, is about um, or 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 we just don't survive. <laughs> Hello and welcome aboard. Get ready for a new episode here at the Virtual Frontier. Great you have found a way back to the show. And if you just joined recently, do yourself a little favor, hit the subscribe button right away so you never miss new episodes. So let's get to our today's guest, Adam Smiley-Posowski. Smiley is an international keynote speaker and best-selling author. Our conversation today is focused on Smiley's recent book titled Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. Hmm. Now you think, hold on, this is a business and management podcast. Why do they talk about friendship? Spoiler alert. Having a best friend at work can dramatically boost your happiness and productivity. But hey, let's take a step back and look at again at the title. Age of loneliness. Is loneliness something you can relate to? When have you felt lonely the last time? Studies show that many do. After two years where many of us have lived partially or sometimes even in complete confinement, it is time to reconnect with the people we love and work with. If you have spent the last two years lonely and you wonder how to get out of this sickening dark spiral, this episode is especially for you. See you in Chester Flesh on the other side. Hello, Smiley. Welcome to the show uh, here at the Virtual Frontier. I'm really happy to have you. And uh, yeah, you've found some time uh, to speak with me. Our um, topic or topics that I want to touch with you a little bit today are um, yeah, the new world of work, hybrid work, leadership, friendship at work. And uh, one of your speci uh, uh, specialties is um, loneliness. Um, but uh, why this is one of your uh, um, Topics that you are speaking about, maybe before we start off, can you give our audience a little introduction about who who you are? What is what is your background and what 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 you're doing? Sure. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm so glad we could have this conversation. Uh, my name is Adam Smiley Pozwalski. I'm an author, uh, public speaker, and a workplace belonging expert. So my most recent book, I've written three. Uh, my most recent book is called Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, An Optimist's Guide to Connection, all about kind of the loneliness epidemic uh, in the United States and beyond. Um, and I spend a lot of my time speaking at companies all around employee engagement, helping people find more purpose and meaning in their work and helping people build kind of connection in the digital age, especially in this moment of the uh, pandemic, post-pandemic, uh, this kind of vast shift to remote hybrid virtual work that everyone's going through. and helping people forge a uh, really strong human connection um, in these, in these challenging times. Yeah. Yeah, really are. Um, I asked my, my uh, yeah, previous interview guests and I keep continuing that because it's really uh, also an interesting and you're, you're an expert on that uh, field. Um, but what, what has, what has changed for you personally um, during the last two years um, in the pandemic uh, in your life, um, probably the, the things that, have worked before, didn't work anymore, and how you uh, especially adapt to this uh, new situations uh, that you confront in your, your personal life? Yeah, I mean, I think that the silver lining, if you could call it that, because it's been a pretty horrific <laughs> two years, almost moving, going on three at this point for, yeah. for everyone, um, has been this kind of rethinking of what it means to um, be fulfilled. I think I was definitely someone that was kind of out there going, always go getting, always moving, always going to the next conference, the next event, going on mm. lots of dates, trying to meet, you know, going a date with a woman, meeting somebody else. Oh, you know, always like there's something greater out there. 
Um, I got into a relationship right before the pandemic, right in January 2020, which turned out to be uh, quite lucky because <laughs> then we ended up quarantine, quarantining together after six weeks of knowing each other. And I think that my world just kind of shrunk a little bit. And I learned that I could be happier with less and that I could, um, didn't need all of those things necessarily. Now, I vastly greatly miss that, you know, connection and being out there and going to events and travel. Um, but I think that I learned that, you know, we need a lot less than people think we need. Um, and that, you know, you, you, you kind of have what you have and that's a beautiful thing. And to be grateful for what you have, I think is definitely the biggest probably lesson I took away was, you know, if you have health, that's something that is not guaranteed. <laughs> if you have, mm. you know, life, that's something that's not guaranteed. And if you have people in your life, even if it's just a few, that's actually not guaranteed either. Friends, family, close people. And that we're always wanting more, 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 more followers, more connection, more people, <laughs> more ads, more shares, all of this yeah. stuff. And that there's something beautiful about being like, wait a second, who's actually here? <laughs> Who am I cooking dinner with tonight? Right? Who am I going to see on Friday night? And that's enough. And that really, I think, came true for me just by, by the nature of the last two years. Um, really, really was the lesson I, I mostly take away. Yeah. A, a, a lot, a lot of things have like condensed down to, to the essence. And then you're seeing, ah, this is, uh, this is what, what, what is really there. Right. And, uh, without, uh, a, a lot, lot of bullshit that happens also at work. Uh, right. We're going to talk, we're going to talk about that later on. Um, but, uh, yeah. In, in a lot of aspects that things got more clear and, and, and really refocused for, for, for many of us. Um, but what, what, one thing I wouldn't, uh, miss so much or reduce is, uh, hugging other people and uh, mm -hmm. getting like really in physical contact, right? Yes, uh, physical touch. I, I was, I was uh, listening to your book and, uh, this, this was something that uh, stood out to me, like what that makes with, uh, you as a person, your hormones and everything. And, um, probably that is something we should get back to uh, as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's actually, you know, one of these, you know, I know we'll get into this, but one of the things I worry about, you know, people talk about the vast benefits of virtual work and hybrid work. And there's a lot of data that shows that that's true. People are happier, right? They're higher performing. Um, they're more productive. They're, you know, have more time with their family. They don't have to commute. There's so many benefits to a remote or hybrid work environment. But one of the things that I worry about as we go deeper and deeper into kind of the virtual age, which we've been living in for, for quite a while now, and we're only going to get, regardless of the pandemic, this was accelerating anyway in terms of our reliance on technology. No. There's many benefits there. And I am always going to be in the camp of human connection and the power. We're social beings. And social beings doesn't just mean connecting online or connecting through a headset or connecting on Fortnite <laughs> or through yeah. VR, Oculus, or even on Zoom or whatever. It actually really means like being in a room with somebody, being touching someone's hand, hugging them, looking them face to face, smelling them, <laughs> looking at them. That's actually biologically what gives us joy and what allows us to survive is being around other people it's how we've evolved as human beings that's just kind of fact that's the science um yeah. those endorphins um the dopamine that is completely more powerful than you'll ever get from a red dot notifying you that you have three likes or two shares or whatever uh, and I think that we need to celebrate it. It seems like why would, that's just obvious. Everyone wants that. We know. And then you start to look at where things are headed and especially with, you know, tech addiction and where kids are, how much time kids are, frankly, everyone, but especially teenagers are spending on TikTok, Instagram, everything. And you start to say, actually, no, we need to have a movement <laughs> mm. for people to kind of say like, actually, it's really good to hug your friend. Like, <laughs> actually, if you're having an issue with your partner, you should sit down and talk to them face to face. Like, actually, like, go hang out with your friend, like, sit with them, be with them. Now, I know we couldn't always do that in the past two years, but that's the future that we need to be building, not just one where we're all connected through a screen. Uh, sometimes we can be connected through a screen, but not all of the time. That's not going to lead to a, to a healthy uh, existence. Yeah. You were mentioning in, in, in your book um, about your participation in this uh, in these camps. Would you uh, 
elaborate mm. like in a, in a two minutes on a top level what 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 you're doing there and and, and speak yeah. to what what is what is the essence because I find this really interesting as I see that there's a on the one side we are all uh, stri striving and, and starving for for connectedness and getting together and but on the other side we're getting always more lonely so uh, this uh, seems to me an interesting move. Yeah, so um, one of the impetuses for this book, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, um, was um, the death of one of my close friends, uh, Levi Felix, who died um, at the age of 30. Um, he had started this um, amazing uh, digital detox, Camp Grounded, which is a tech-free summer camp for adults um, that I was a counselor at. And we did over uh, about 15 camps in five years. Um, started in California and the Redwoods, and we did them all over the U.S., in, in New York, in Texas, in North Carolina. And it was all about the power of in-person connection. So people would arrive at camp on a Friday, we'd lock away all of their digital devices. So if you're wearing an Apple Watch, you got to put that away, iPad, iPhone, laptop if you had it, whatever, digital devices, um, a watch, anything Everything that could be connected. Anything that could be connected. And then folks got to basically reconnect with themselves and each other in a way where technology wasn't present for four days, right? Four so days. you can't use your real name. So you can't use digital technology at camp, right? You can't use your real name. So instead of, you know, someone being Adam or Roger or Maria, they were Cookie Surprise or um, Bricky St. James or Popcorn or... Um, whatever superhero or whatever nickname they had from childhood. If you didn't have a nickname, we'd give people a nickname. And basically the premise there is that there was also, you know, talking about age. So you don't say how you're, how old are you? 22, you're 73, because we judge people based on these things. So it's basically allowing people to kind of decide who they want to be and kind of connect from a place of that inner child. You know, if you think about the way we play when we're kids, it's just like you people run out to the, to the park to the playground and they're running around and there's no like, what do you do? Where do you work? Oh, you work at Facebook or oh, you work at a nonprofit or, you know, like you're 73 or like you don't matter to me or you're, you can't give me money. That's how we connect as adults. But as kids, yeah. it's just like, do you like to play? Me too. Awesome. You're going to go down the slide. I'm going to go down the slide. Do you like watercolors? I love watercolors. Like that's how we play, but we miss that as, an, as adults. So it was this really incredible movement that Levi had built really as kind of both for fun, but also as this very serious kind of beacon to kind of call attention to tech addiction. You know, it was started this, this um, organization in Oakland and kind of the, you know, center of the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley. And so many of the people that came to camp were working at some of these tech companies. Many of them were in fact leading these companies, right? So the vision was, you know, not everyone that came to camp worked in tech, but many did. And the vision was that people would come to this camp and not go back and quit their job or say, I'm never going to be on my iPhone again, or like, I'm going to mm. be a Luddite or move to the woods and go off grid. That wasn't, that's not what it was. It was, I'm going to have a healthier relationship with technology, right? I've experienced what it's like to know that I don't need to post something every two seconds or that I can share my feelings with someone just face to face, right? Um, that was kind of the goal and had people kind of reconnect, disconnect to reconnect was kind of the tagline of camp. So it wasn't disconnect to disconnect and just be like, I'm out of here. I quit. It was disconnect no. to reconnect to yourself, to the people around you, to what really matters in the world so that when you, so that we can survive. <laughs> Cause I think that so many people don't take that opportunity to really just be present with who they are and what they're looking for. Um, in life. And, you know, what's, what's really interesting is that so many people that went to camp had this experience only four days, right? It's not like that long, mm. but they come back and they were like, you know, rethinking, you know, how they, what they wanted to do at work, or maybe they wanted to design better technology, or maybe they wanted to, they weren't doing something that they cared about and they really wanted to. And we didn't even talk about work at camp. There was no like career development. It wasn't like a conference, you know, like in the traditional kind of corporate conference world, but because of the experience of getting to be, to play as an adult, people had these profound transformational experiences because they were kind of 
able to reconnect to themselves authentically and connect to other people in just a human to human way. That is just, it just shows how much that's lacking in our adult lives in the society that we live in today. I think that's why camp was so powerful. And that was really, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to write this book was to kind of share some of the lessons that Levi had taught me and that Camp Grounded had taught me and the people that really are these kind of beacons of light for play and community and human and, and kind of human connection um, to kind of share their stories and share some of the stuff that they're doing, basically to share their ideals. You know, I talk, I have a chapter in this book that kind of talks about, um, you know, what the importance of play for adults, you know, and this idea that, you know, as adults, we've been taught to know the answers, mm. but actually, you know, one of the ways that we learn best, and if you actually look at the data behind psychological safety, you know, fostering this idea that it's okay uh, to be yourself at work and you can be safe is to not know the answers, Right is to not know it, which is, it's like how we are as kids. It's like, I want to go to school. So I learn things. I don't know. Right. Like that's what you're supposed to do. Right. It's to be okay to like, to, to learn and to, to, to enjoy the questions and to make mistakes and play allows us that space. Right. If you think about improv, it's like, you just kind of like jump in and you're like, I'm going to be silly. I don't know, but that's the rules. You can't say no. Right. But as adults, we're like, I don't know the answer. I'm not going to raise my hand or I'm not a professor. I'm not an expert. I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask for the promotion or I'm scared of this. And then by playing more as adults, we learn, we, we really relearn these things that we intrinsically know because we all experience them as, a, as children, what it's like to kind of opt in, to say yes, to try new things, to ask questions, to make mistakes, to be silly, to be weird, to celebrate somebody for making a mistake, to celebrate someone that's being left out right? All of these mm. things that are so, so important, actually, for an adult life, they get buried somewhere after you, you know, grow up, or you go to high school or university, and then you're kind of told to like, you know, shh, like, you know, don't, 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 don't say anything unless you know the answer, like, you have to be the best person, or you have to know everything and get to some, you know, fictitious, you know, place of success or, or expertise that just doesn't exist. And then yeah. people become really lonely adults. <laughs> so, you know, um, bringing back more of that energy that is kind of like a playground, right? The, the kind of, there's not a mistake here. You can do anything you want. There's yeah. no wrong answer here, right? Yeah. There's only questions and there's only trying and there's only exploration and curiosity. Um, so, you know. And that's the, that's the point, right? We're, we're living in a more and more uncertain world. Uh, The leaders and companies are are doing VUCA leadership and everything, and and um, we keep but we keep doing the same things that we have done before in a, in a new in a new environment, a new setting, and uh, as you just mentioned, a uh, uh, little bit more play and uh, openness and um, failure failure culture, um, celebrating failure instead of uh, punishing or or uh, discouraging people to make failures is really a, a thing. Are you planning to reopen those uh, uh, camps or uh, what, what is the plan? Because I, I think th those should be mandatory for, for everyone at least one, <laughs> yeah, one, totally. one, once, per, once per year, I think. <laughs> so there's been a couple spin-offs because camp hasn't happened um, for a couple of years. So there's a couple people that were leaders in the camp community that have started their own. Um, there's an organization called Custom Camps. There's the Go Game that have kind of sprung from that environment. So th mm. there, this exists, this kind of movement around play at work and and kind of team retreats when it, um, that offer that camp environment. Camp Grounded itself, there, it was um, bought by, uh, by somebody and he's hoping to bring it back. It's un, kind of unclear if that's going to happen, but hopefully it will happen again once it's safe. For, Sign me uh, up for it. I know, it's know. so fun. You, you, I would recommend it to anyone. I've been yeah. thir 14, 13 times and I would still go tomorrow. Look at that. If, if it, you know, just because... Um, Oh, especially right now, just the, the power of bringing people together and being in that environment and that rush. And also just want to say, like, it's not just for extroverts, you know, people, the whole, I think what's powerful about camp is that, you know, we really try to create an environment where everyone can show up as who they are. So if you're an introvert and it kind of intimidates you that people might be really excited or loud or, you know, outgoing that's great too. You know, we welcome that. And, you know, you will find other people there that maybe want to spend time alone or read a book or sit under a redwood tree 
or have just a one-on-one conversation or go for a walk in the redwoods, that's mm. also beautiful, right? And you might have someone that's playing really hard and it's excited. And then in 10 minutes is like, okay, alone time. And that's also great. And there's no right way to do camp. And that's, I think, a good metaphor for life. um, That's not often kind of shared that often. You know, that's, that's rare these days, right? We live in this culture, especially in technology, Silicon Valley, or, or even in just kind of corporate business, that there seems to be like this right way to do things. And I actually think that that's, that's quite, um, that, that, that that's quite limiting. That's a real limiting belief, you know, that this is the way we do things. You know, that's actually, I think if anything, the last two years have, have showed us that's, that's quite the opposite of the approach, right? We thought, oh, this is the way we work. This is how we're working. Boom, a pandemic, like, you know, and then every time you try to say, you know, I, I always hear this with people kind of coming up with their return to work policies. You know, this yeah. is our new policy, right? And then two now, weeks now later, we it. it changes. Now we, got it. No. now we got it. This is it. Yeah. This is yeah, what we're dude. doing. And then it's like, well, there's a new variant. Scratch that. Or, well, yeah. we, this doesn't work. And it's like the more, the, the, the lesson there is flexibility and saying, okay, we're going to trial this. We're going to see what happens. We're going to survey. We're going to see what people want. And yes, we very well might change things because that's what a company does, right? Mm-hmm. You're adaptive, you're, 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 you're kind of agile, you, you're experimenting, you're trying new things constantly. You're not coming up with this fixed mindset. You have to have the growth mindset. And I think that it takes experiences like camp for that. You, know, you can't always get that from just reading a business book or reading a, you know, an HBR article you know, or, or spending a lot of time on LinkedIn. You know, there's great tools and, and resources on places, those kind of places. But really, sometimes you need that kind of human experience to really blow your mind, to really kind of say, okay, I get it, right? I've, I, I really have had this kind of like life-changing experience. I mean, people have that from spending time in nature or going on adventures or all of these other things. I think often it's the things that are least related to work that help us have the most epiphanies most. and kind of understanding of what we want out of our own work life and, and how we want to build culture in our organizations. It's, it's actually not the most work-related things. Yeah, 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 yeah. completely agree with that. I, I was just remembering we had a, a real nice uh, birthday party a couple of weeks ago with uh, some, some of our kids from, from school we have here. And it was like, it was like the first big gathering after two years, right? With the pandemic and was like in the outside, big tables and everything. I felt like, like in the Toscana, uh, having those family events with all yes. people, with their parents and everything. I was, yes, that's, that's it. And, and I'm still having this, like, and not, not every day, but it comes every time back again to my mind. I said, this, this was really a nice experience after that long time. And you, you're, you're, you're nourishing yourself of that in, 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 in the, in the, in afterwards, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah that's, that's what it's about. I mean, that, those types of experiences are what, what people are looking for, right? It's kind of that yeah. peak experience and that coming together and sharing food and, and sharing laughter and sharing stories. Um, that's, 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 that's life. That's what this is all about. Why, why we are on the other side, uh, do need to those, um, those special environments, uh, like you mentioned with the camp, uh, uh, um, with the camp that you did a couple of years ago. Um, and on the other side, we, we have this, um, this huge loneliness, uh, pandemic, let's say it. Uh, and, and yeah. my, my question is, wh- when did we lose it? I, I have, I haven't got there. It, it can't like social media is maybe one, one, one influence, but it's not everything. So where, where, where did we lose it with the connection? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly, you know, when there was this great book, I don't know if you're familiar with called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. He wrote it kind of, I I believe in 2000, about kind of the decline. This is an America focused book about kind of the decline of American community. Mm -hmm. And he kind of talked about bowling alone, like this idea that there used to be like bowling leagues and you know, these kind of ways that people got together in their, you know, maybe with their church or their local, um, VFW post or kind of community organizations, neighborhood kind of based places where people would go hang out essentially. And mm-hmm. then kind of the decline of that American community fabric has been happening, you know, over the course of, of many, many decades. And I think that, so there's a piece there, you know, um, uh, there's kind of people, at least in the United States are less kind of connected to religion or connected to kind of that type of community. 
um, and maybe don't live closer to their families. Again, this is a US related problem. Um, and there's a real kind of culture around independence that I think like messes with this. But I think that technology, social media, at least in recent years, has really accelerated the problem. Yeah. So it's taken it from something that was already brewing in terms of people just more disconnected, more fragmented, and basically kind of said, okay, you know, you're on your own, right? And I think that that's what you see. I mean, loneliness, uh, two thirds of Americans are lonely, right? I mean, 60%. You can and that was before COVID. That was before yeah. the pandemic. So that was like early 2020 data. Um, the loneliness has only increased for young people, for parents. Uh, 80% of Gen Z and 70% of millennials in the United States are, are lonely. Uh, Britain, you know, the, the problem was so bad in the UK that they uh, hired a minister for loneliness. The, pro the problem is really, really brutal in Japan, Germany as well, Russia. This is a global issue. Uh, and I think that it's really been exacerbated by kind of this push to social media where, you know, people just there's less incentive for people to need to spend time with each other, right? We spend 4% of our time with friends, just 4%, <laughs> right? And meanwhile, people are spending, 50, you know, people that are active social media users are spending 50 minutes a day on Instagram, 50 minutes a day on Facebook. I don't even know that the, the amount for TikTok, but for teenagers that are on TikTok, it's probably an hour or more. Or more. Uh, average person spending eight to 12 hours a day on a screen, yeah. right? <laughs> So you're taking something that was already a, a problem and then saying, here's a really awesome thing that you can look at all of the time <laughs> mm. and you don't even have to leave your house. Yeah. And yeah, there's some value in those, that device, but there's also, you know, re some really kind of um, some drawbacks there. So, you know, I don't think the problem is just technology, but I think it's a huge, huge aspect of it. If you look at kind of the way that the, with the data in terms of when loneliness is sp has spiked and then also related to kind of teenage anxiety, depression, even suicide. It's all around when the iPhone kind of started to become, you know, uh, around 2008, 2010, when, when the iPhone became, you know, pretty much ubiquitous. That's yeah. when these, the, the like the data, this all starts to really spike is around when everyone had uh, the iPhone, you know, so it wasn't just computers, then it's like, okay, now you actually have social media in your pocket all of the time. Um, and so, you know, this is, you know, and it's, you know, chronic loneliness is said to be as dangerous as to your, as your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Okay. So That's it's like, actually, really, really, <laughs> Yeah. you know, really, really hurt, hurtful, right? It's like, there's a, there's a, it's, it's related to increased threats of uh, th uh, threat of heart disease, uh, stress, Alzheimer's, it's literally killing people, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, social support can increase your chance of survival by up to 50%, right? We, so it literally saves your life to have more close social contact with people. Yeah. Do you know from, from your experience, because you just mentioned uh, um, some, some countries um, that are really bad with that, uh, are, are there countries uh, or regions that are like better with connecting or connection and still more connected, are still more connected? That's a great question. Um, I don't have exact data on that. I mean, I, I know that like there's always that, um, you know, that data around Bhutan being the happiest country in the world based mm. on, you know, which is really interesting because, you know, has so much less money than a lot of other, you know, first world countries. Yeah. Um, but people, I think, probably feel more connected and, and just have a closer kind of connection to other people. But I think that would be something really interesting to look at in terms of kind of who are the most connected countries. Um, my guess is there's a correlation there between a little bit less work, less, less work, less access to technology, and then just more of a kind of cohesion around community and family, yep. right? Right. People simply living longer with their, their parents or living in more multi-generational households, that type of thing, which is not prevalent, obviously, in the United States for the most part. Yep. Um, so that I would think that those would be kind of correlated there. And you went to Cuba, right? I, I, I listened to that in, 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 in your book. And uh, I, in, in, if, I, if I remember uh, right, uh, I, I, I never went to Cuba, but uh, in in Mexico, this is uh, something similar that you have like this plazas uh, where people are just yes. gathering for, for, for a day. And there was a, a 
I don't I don't remember where that I read or thought it um, that before um, in in Cuba internet is uh, limited uh, really and they have like those internet connections on those plazas and um, now as everyone is getting like more more cell phones in their hand um, before that people on this uh, plazas they were talking uh, chatting around and now everyone is just on the cell phone on oh, this plazas <laughs> right right so they they I have, mean, they have the same muscle that aspect but it's still limited. It's still limited just to yes. the corner, you know? <laughs> right. The aspect of Latin American culture or and European culture where there's just like this the plaza and it's like you can just hang out. That's what mm. you're supposed to do. It's just like you're supposed to you're supposed to loiter, right? Whereas yeah. the America has much more of a culture on no loitering. Like if you're not supposed to be here, leave. But it's actually like, no, why don't you just let people hang out all day? That's why no. I think public libraries are one of the coolest community institutions we have, at least in the United States, in many, in many cities where people can just go and chill. They can read a book. They have computers, free internet access. People can apply for a job. People can find housing. People can just sit and talk to their buddy. They can stay warm. They can do whatever they want. Like we need more institutions like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the other thing is like, you know, you're seeing this now with, with loneliness is you know, when people are lonely, they don't have purpose in life, right? If you're lonely right. and isolated, you know, um, the, 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 like the kind of base there might be, okay, you're spending more time online, you're on chat rooms, you're video games, you're kind of just socially a little bit isolated and you're, you're not connected. If you really want to go deeper and get where it gets really scary, then it leads to potentially more drug use, um, right? More violence, potentially you're then get drawn into some sort of conspiracy theory, or you join an organization that is like a hate group or violent because, oh, they're giving you purpose. They're giving you connection. They're giving you identity, mm. right? Because every, that is, it's a human need to belong, to connect, to want to find your tribe. Yep. And if you're not finding that with your friends or doing something creative or doing something productive or doing something artistic or that helps your community, right? Something out of love and service and benefiting society, you can also find that doing something really, really bad, right? Yeah. And there's really people that are really good on that side of recruiting those people to do bad things and say, oh, you're like an isolated teenager with nothing to do. Here's a gun, yeah, right? Yeah. Here's, a, here's, 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 here's why you should hate this group of people that doesn't look like you. That's yeah. what's really scary about this loneliness thing is that People think of it as like, oh, I'm sorry, you're not, you don't have friends or you're lonely. It's like, actually, this is a crisis that affects the future of humanity. <laughs> exactly. Uh, if, you, if you zoom out and see like really what's happening here, this is, it, a lot of this stuff stems to people just not having a path and not having connection with each other. Uh, and then and also this find... reflection point, right? Uh, you were just uh, 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 telling about social media or computer games. If there's no no nobody around you that like says, "Hey, you have like um, five hours today on social media, or have played uh, computer games, maybe time for doing something different." Yes, um, that's, that's or let's go uh, that's outside and missing, play, right? or you, let's or you play. should come. Let's come come to my dinner on Friday night, or come check out this. You know, let's go to this thing together, or you know. Then, you know, then you just, you only are, yeah, you don't have much going on. And that's really scary. I mean, 15% of men in the United States right now have no close friends at all. Yeah. No close friends. And that's not a good recipe for, for, scary. for society, you know, when men are just sitting around not having much going on. Yeah. Um, that doesn't lead to good things usually. Talking about this, um, whole spectrum of being disconnected and I, uh, let's maybe dive a little bit into that uh, topic of um, or in this context of work um, because there's also like this huge amount of disconnectedness at, at work and as you were just mentioning this um, probably comes at a high price and, and um, companies on, on a corporate level I think there, there, there is not so much recognition for that and we're taking it not really serious uh, on, on the individual level, I think many, many of us are, are they scared um, to, to look really out for, for connected on, on uh, or connection on, on the work uh, space? I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, the costs of loneliness are well documented. I mean, lonely employees, you know, cost the U.S. economy $406 billion a year. So they're less productive. They're less engaged. They're more likely to quit. 
uh, 45% lower productivity, double the uh, missed days at work due to stress or being sick, higher risk of turnover, lower quality of work. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you know, when you have the belonging, when you have the connection, there's an 56% increase in job performance, drop in turnover risks, risk, uh, reduction in sick days can result in, an, in a savings of millions, tens of millions of dollars for a large company. Uh, more promotions, more raises, way l- more likely that someone's going to be engaged and recommend their job to somebody else. So I think that clearly people know that this is a problem, right? The disconnection. I think A, they're scared to face it. And B, there's this little push-pull between, you know, friendship connection at work and then not wanting to go too far because there's Mm -hmm. also this pushback where it's like, hey, like, you know, people want to be part of something. They want to be part of a team. But you don't want to say, like, you have to be one of us and part of a family because people are like, well, I have a family. Yeah, right. I have cool. friends outside of work. Yes, right. Yes. So, yeah. you know, that I think people are really scarred, especially in light of the pandemic from this kind of, um, have got, especially in tech, people have gone a little too far with, you know, okay, you're, you're part of us, you're a family, you know, you're loyal to us, but you have to work here until 8 PM every day, you know, and get your haircut here and do your laundry here and have dinner here. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, that's too much. Right, I, I, because I think this is different. Different. I, I love to have friends at work, but um, putting putting this family um, theme around work, it's like more uh, with the mafia, you know. Like you have yes. to do that and that and that, and then we love yes. you, and then Great we are point. family. But if you're not applying the rules, then you're punished, you know. Right, and that's di- that's different. That's, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. and the truth is, a family f- can fire you, right? Uh, a fam- the families don't fire you. A workplace can fire you. <laughs> So that's, I think, a good distinction there. But yeah, so also, but friendship is really important, right? Employees who have a best friend at work are seven times more engaged, right? Chew on that. If you don't have a close friend at work, there's only a one in 12 chance you're going to be engaged with your job. So basically, if you don't have a close friend at work, you're not going to like your job. You're going to quit. You're going to hate it. Or you're going to be getting paid to do a shitty job, which isn't good for anybody, right? (laughs) Not good for you, not good for your coworkers, your manager, your team, the CEO, the bottom line. It's not good. So yes, friendship at work was really important. And I think that people people are scared because they realize that some of that means that people are going to have to work less because they're going to be spending time connecting. And I think, yes, that's true, right? Data shows when people have more work-life balance and when they are like able to work, leave work at home, when they have more time to just connect with people. And they're not always just doing tasks. And that's the, their connection with their coworkers is not just working. They're going to make closer relationships. That's okay. That's actually in the name, I think, of producing higher quality work overall and having more engaged employees. I think people are really short-sighted about this. They say, oh, if we take an hour to do team building, right? Or no. if we have that retreat, you know, get everyone together on a Friday, right? Oh, we're wasting so many work hours, right? We're wasting so we're, we're paying everyone to hang out and drink beer or play games where they should be working. It's like, you're that's so short-sighted because the relationships that form from that, this creative thinking, the time and space, the synergies, people being like, Hey, you work on that project. You know, I had an idea. Have you ever thought about this? That's not going to happen when someone's just always on Slack, right? That's going to happen when someone's taking a walk or getting a drink with somebody or having a meal or having coffee or just relaxing with their a coworker. That's where those good ideas happen. So I think more space for for connection that doesn't have to be around like the meeting and even mm. within a meeting, having more space for connection is actually going to make people more excited about what they're doing. Yeah. But do you have an idea around this dissonance between we have on the one side this uh, um, huge cost? You mentioned the number for 400, over four hundred billion. Uh, um, in the U.S. alone, and if it expanded to the globe, uh, would be uh, an incredible higher number um, that we have that is that is studied already. And on the other side, we have our still day-to-day doing at work and how comp- uh, corporates uh, and companies operate, and they are not really recognizing that. So, what, what, as everyone wants to save money or make money, or we are in the best case are really interested in the well-being of our team members uh, in, in at work. Well, why is it still? 
why why you're not still like uh, uh, or already like topic number one in, on every news channel and, and talking about this topic with loneliness? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I think it's becoming a little bit more, you know, top of mind in light of the pandemic. But I mm -hmm. think that people think of this as a soft topic. They think of this as, you know, that's not as important as business, as management, as leadership, as sales, as marketing, as some of these other things. They just don't see it as a top, as a huge issue. I think it's really short sighted. Um, but I think that it's becoming more people get it because they see it. I think the great resignation is an example of this, mm -hmm. right? So a yeah. lot of times, if for, you know, there are many reasons why people might quit their jobs. They're unhappy. They want to make more money. Their boss sucks. Their company sucks. They can do something else. They want to take time with their family. They want to start their own business. There's so many reasons. And disconnection is a, probably a big piece of it, right? And I think that your uh, companies are starting to recognize now, hey, if somebody doesn't have a tie to other people that they're working with, like what's holding them here, right? They're, they're just, they're, those are going to be such, they're just going to be able, the second they see something else, they're just going to be like, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm trying something new, yeah. right? Um, and that you're not going to have somebody, you know, be connected to your organization for 5, 10, 15 years anymore, probably for the most part. So that there's somewhere in the middle there that's kind of the happy balance, right? Because I think that's, that's also a fallacy is to say, okay, If we invest in friendship and everyone's happy here and we're always building close relationships, people will work here forever. No, no one wants to work there forever. That would be boring, right? <laughs> and that wouldn't be very interesting for the employee. Even if they have close friends, they're probably going to want to do something different as they should, nope. right? That's, a, you know, some people might stay a long time. Great, but not everyone. And that's okay. Um, so there, there's some sort of place where you can meet in the middle there. Um, but I think that just the biggest piece of this is that you know, I think we have to realize that this is basically, you know, I like to say like belonging is everyone's job, like community connection is everyone's job. So it's not just the kind of HR department or kind of the, you know, chief of people to kind of say, oh, let's build a more connected workforce. I think it's like part of a human's job in the virtual world we live in to kind of say, I'm going to look out for other people and try to build more friends at work for myself, my coworkers, for the people around me. Like everyone has to kind of step up and do that, if that makes sense. No, right. It's kind of, you know, and it's, I think we've long lived in this space where like, oh yeah, HR is doing that, or that's not my job. I just work here. And yeah, look yeah, where yeah. we are today. That's not working. Yeah. And it doesn't have to do with just the workplace. It has to do with humanity and kind of the social fabric of our cities and our towns and our communities and our countries like this is you know this is everyone's problem and i and i think that the loneliness issue is really deeply deeply connected to all so many other things you know when it comes to you know even climate it comes uh inequality when it comes to you know access and human rights and and you know just all of it you know building a more connected respectful kind of empathetic society allows us to essentially like survive <laughs> You know, mm. and not and not lead to you know <laughs> basically war or you know destruction. You know, so basically, I, I you know I really believe that these things are really really important beyond just kind of you know the team day to day at a, at a workforce at a workplace. Yeah, you you mentioned in your book something nice, and maybe we can or you can. Um give some more more tips or or ideas around um like how we can get to this connection i remember i i, I look here um what what you wrote um is um making like notes um f about others what they really need when they are down so when the yes. time comes you can really help them and i found this amazing i just wrote it down for myself and i'm gonna uh, look uh, and uh, start making more notes um with all my colleagues and uh, people and uh, are surrounding me because this is this is awesome you make You, you spend time before something happening and, and, and uh, think about your, your friends and uh, your coworkers. And when the time comes, you have something at hand that you can really use. Yeah, I love this. This is, I think this was an idea I shared in the book. It was from my friend, uh, Dr. Emily Onholt. She's a therapist. Um, and she says, you know, it's 
it's always this tendency when someone's sick, what do you need or what could I do for you? But like if they're sick or they're going through it, they don't, no one really knows what to ask for and they're stressed and they're tired and stressed. But the point is to kind of know and keep like a backlog so that you basically say, oh, this person loves this type of food or they really love this flower or they really love whatever so that you kind of know when they need it and you just do it. Um, and it's like that act of like, kind of like going the extra mile to just listen and be aware of what people want and what are looking for. What a beautiful thing. Exactly. Any other tips that we can apply as, as, as I feel also, this is, uh, um, something that every, everyone has to stand up for and uh, be accountable for themselves, uh, how to, to engage with others and, and be more kind and have this, this closer relationships that really helps us to, to, to be better, better humans at the end. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I'm a big proponent of ritual, right? So you're creating something that's ongoing, right? So they're right. Instead of like a one-off, like you have a party or, you know, uh, you, you do something one time, you kind of create something that's happening all of the time, you know, over and over again, maybe like a monthly hike or, a uh, a, a, a book club or a, um, adventure trip or, you know, a gratitude Wednesday, whatever it is, that's kind of on the calendar that's repeating that people can look forward to. They remember the last one, they look forward to the next one. It kind of creates this continuity mm -hmm. where people, Uh, there's a thread line of the experience. Uh, this could be with friends at work, outside of work, whatever. But I think friendship really can grow in those those containers of ritual. And really, I mean, sky's the limit in terms of how, what you're doing. But the point is, it's happening. Um, it's recurrent, right? Yeah. And there's maybe a set of tr customs of how, when you do each one, right? You know, you start with a, med a brief meditation or you, you know, everyone goes around the circle and says something they appreciate about somebody else. Like whatever those kind of customs are, you bring them to the next gathering. And that mm -hmm. really is helpful, I think, to kind of create, create this kind of container. Um, yeah. But I'm also, you know, uh, I, I, you know, in terms of another kind of thing, um, you know, we were talking about, um, you were talking about the notes or, 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 or kind of jotting down, um, um, things to keep in mind for people. I mean, another one would also be, um, making the ask, right? Like, so really creating containers for people to say what they need and what they're looking for. Uh, I think this is, you know, really a lot of data kind of shows that, you know, a lot of support at work professionally and personally, but definitely professionally, um, requires somebody being able to ask to, to kind of stay what they need to make kind of like this create containers for, um, Hey, I'm really looking to do this more. I'd like to learn this skill. I'd like to be on this project. I'd like to be connected to this person and then allowing people to support that need really kind of start, you know, it's kind of mentorship, but also more just creating that space for people to be basically have psychological safety, because they know yeah. they can say what they need, they know they can admit that they are aren't perfect. Newsflash, nobody's perfect. And you're also creating community because people then say, Oh, I can help you. I got your back. Or I want to support you or we're in this together. So like, immediately, there's this giving and receiving. Talking a bit about the, the future of leadership and, and also about the future of work, um, I, I want to uh, refer to an article that I found uh, from you uh, and you mentioned there that uh, we probably need uh, a chief friendship officer. And I really like this idea, <laughs> how we get there. We, we really need them <laughs> as a, as a yeah, uh, formal, formal uh, role in a, inside a company that... Uh, The same as the minister for for loneliness, right? right. Uh, we need to to, to tackle that more more active and bring it to the to the public and broader public. Yeah, totally. I mean, this is this is something. Um, you know, I um, I originally pitched an article to HBR about kind of every company needs a, a chief friendship officer, and they kind of said. I, we like it, but it doesn't seem realistic. And I, I didn't think of it as like everyone was going to make that higher, right? You know, that mm. not every company can do that. It was more kind of 
hyperbole. I'm kind of kind of provoking an idea, but trying to show how important the workplace friendship thing is, but also kind of saying, hey, at a society level, we need this, right? And I was really thinking in terms of like policies for someone to be thinking about how are we creating cities and towns and where people can become better friends? How are we bridging differences, you know, across political spectrums, across differences, this type of thing? I think like by having that chief friendship officer, you know, at the White House or in parliament or wherever, it helps people, you know, take this more seriously, but it can't just be at the government level. You also need it just in your community. So that's why in the book, I talk about everyone needs to become a minister for loneliness. Everyone kind of needs to kind of take on this role in their own, just being like, oh, I'm going to look out, see on my block, connect people that don't know each other, maybe do a potluck, maybe do like a, a food drive or a toy drive or whatever it is that's bringing people closer together. Um, and I think that we do need, we need more people kind of thinking like that. Like I am a chief friendship officer. I go around and I try to make people become closer friends because it's not going to happen out of the sky, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we got to kind of take that on. And I, and, and, and I think that that, that leads to, um, you know, there was data that showed um, Nextdoor did a study with um, Julianne Holt-Lundstad, who's kind of one of the leaders in the loneliness, uh, in loneliness research and found that even knowing as few as six neighbors reduces your likelihood of feeling lonely. Right. So if you think about it, every there. neighborhood, yes. what's that? <laughs> I'm getting there. Yes. I, I, I yeah. have at least six around me. <laughs> that's great. I mean, yeah. And, you know, but that's um, so just even beyond like kind of like your friends or the people in your community, just knowing six of your neighbors reduces the chance that you're going to be lonely. You know, if you think about it, you could probably figure that out in a day or a weekend, but nobody does. No. Right. We just spend months and months being like, I don't really know anyone. Or I say hi to that person, but I haven't introduced myself. Like that kind of requires some individual responsibility, but also wouldn't it be beautiful if like every neighborhood and had a captain that was like, okay, Saturday morning bagels, you know, or, you know, uh, we're delivering flowers today or whatever it is. Like these little things I think go a long way. These interventions. Um, and then, and then I remember this one phrase that uh, uh, also is mentioned in your book from 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 your friend Lewis that uh, says, "Yeah, you can measure a person's life by the number of lives they've touched." And so, and this this in the context for from a chief friendship officer, I think this is a really responsible pro, uh, role and position in every not not just in a corporate environment, but uh, something great uh, all all for society. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Not kind of. Um... You know, the Harvard did this study, uh, the Harvard study of adult development, longest kind of longitudinal study of adult happiness ever done, starting in, I think, 1938 or 1940. They tracked um, the health and happiness of Harvard folks that were sophomores then at Harvard University all the way, I think, 80 years. And they found that the people that were the healthiest at the age of the, at, at 80 had the healthiest relationships at the age of 50. Hmm. Look at that. Right. So it had nothing to do with kind of how much money they had or how successful they were or their status or, you know, what their job was or their bank accounts or what they had achieved in life. Mm -hmm. It all had to do with who was in their life at the age of 50. Did they have close relationships? They have people in their life that they loved that loved them back. That was, that was the key. That was the key mm -hmm. to a healthy, happy life. Amazing because that's free. <laughs> right? <laughs> Cause nothing. It's cause nothing, hmm. but we don't always live like that. How can how can the future leaders um, from in, in the co uh, corporate uh, context um, can really create those kind of workspaces where you are, have great experience, um, where the workplace itself is like attractive to to a place to be, um, whatever setting that might be uh, in the future. Um, what, what we're not doing today, but maybe should have a look in, in, into the future, right? So to be more attractive, especially for those uh, new and more and more uh, present uh, workforce from, from the millennials, uh, as they have like a completely different outlook on, on, on the whole topic of work. I, I truly believe that when I think about the companies of the future that are really leading the way, they're going to basically be containers for people to come together and build build things together. They're going to be basically like 
playgrounds for adults uh, in terms of not like the ball pits and the kombucha, you know, <laughs> on tap and, and that kind of, you know, Google, 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 Googleification of the office, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. But I mean more in terms of connection, creativity, collaboration, basically places where people can come together and almost like learning hubs, almost kind of like the university work vibe. That's, I think, the future. Uh, that it's less about like, we're leading the way and we are the best at this. And it's more of like, we create a container where people can come in, share ideas and solve huge problems. Um, that's what, and where people can get together. Like that's, I think going to be that, that to me is the future of work. I like to say the future of work is, is human connection because, you know, there is going to be no shortage of ways to virtually engage with people, right? From VR, from you know, all of this, the metaverse, all of this stuff from, from, from virtual, what's going to be rare, what's going to be highly, highly valuable is people that are people, people that have people skills, right? That can communicate, that can listen, that can have empathy, that can disagree productively, that can give feedback, that can motivate, that can uh, inspire other people. Like you can't have a robot do that. You can't have AI do that. You can't have AI kind of make someone feel better uh, about their day, right? So I really believe that leadership in a way is, is, is kind of this, this, this people skill that is currently not necessarily hired for or, or is maybe by very like smart organizations but less of the HR role of admin and more of the HR role of um, advisor, mentor, uh, motivator, enabler, uh, enabler uh, mm. life coach, if you will, if you think about or, 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 you know, kind of that, that type of role, I think is going to be um, in incredibly important for leaders. If you think about a lot of the leaders of the last generation of very successful companies, you know, the, let's call them the Facebooks of the world, the Ubers of the world, they weren't very empathetic or uh, <laughs> loving leaders, let's say, right? So. Very successful companies, don't get me wrong, that have changed the world. I'll give them that um, and made tons of money and, and changed how we, how we all live. So you have to respect the the, the innovation and the impact there. But in terms of like making people happier or making the people around them feel good, not necessarily the reputation they have, right? Not and I think, that, I think that the next generation is that, uh, is about, um, or, or, or we just don't survive. <laughs> Let's you know, or we that. just don't make it, which is totally possible. Like I'm a, I'm a realist. I'm not like, you know, I'm an optimist, but I'm also very clear that we have some really big issues facing humanity right now from the climate, from uh, political kind of disagreement and, and, um, inequality that are in, and, and, um, you know, migration, all this stuff that is very, very, very real and could really, you know, be be unsolvable but i think if we're going to solve it if we're going to get to survive and to build a better world it requires people kind of leading out of love and leading mm. out of not out of profit not out of dominance not out of kind yeah. of you know uh do, you know world domination and much more out of love and service compassion empathy understanding um ag admitting a mistake being wrong, being like, I got this wrong. I'm doing to do better. Right. You yeah. don't have, no one has all the right answers. Awesome. Like that kind of that, that those, they used to be called soft skills. Right. But I think it's like, these are, you know, they're just connection skills. skills. They're just skills. They're actually, <laughs> they're, they're vital. They're the future vital skills. Yeah. They're vital skills. They're humanity skills. Um, that that's what this is. That's kind of, I think where we're headed. Having this um, your whole perspective in in mind, what what would be some some advice you give um, for yeah person that is listening right now to, uh, or our audience in in general speaking, like taking this first practical steps toward those kind of leadership attributes that you just mentioned? Like what what can what can I do as a as a leader right now, going back to office tomorrow, whatever? Um, right. to make, make a, to make a difference, right. To start making a difference and on a small, on a small level, maybe about, uh, just getting it off and start. 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I would say that, you know, just coming to a place of, of from praise, praise and appreciation. If you can just think of some, you know, how, who is one person every day that, you know, you, can you give one, one new person every day, a little bit more appreciation and praise and gratitude for mm -hmm. their work. And then who is somebody that's not being recognized or hasn't been recognized and can, you know, who, that they, could, that can you reach out to them and let them know? in a kind of thoughtful way, either calling them and telling them, seeing them face to face if you can, or calling them on the phone and letting them know um, what a great job that they're doing or what, how they you know, impacted you, I think just goes such a long way. Um, it's so simple, but I think it's, it's really, really important. Um, I also think that, you know, especially right now, um, Kind of remind, remembering that people are human and remembering that um, that it's been a really long two years plus, you know, it's been a long stretch. And to the extent that you can um, have, have empathy and understanding for where people are um, and just remember that all of this other stuff beyond work should come first. And I don't think mm -hmm. that that's actually... Uh, what a lot of leaders say, um, but that will actually end up helping people do better work <laughs> mm -hmm. by allowing them to spend more time with their friends, more time with their families, like go see the doctor, you know, therapy, ther see a therapist, like go on a vacation. All of those other things are really more important, frankly, than the report of the day or, you know, catching up on Slack or you know, getting something in on Friday by five o'clock, like nobody cares, like that's all going to get done. And that stuff at the end of the day, isn't as important as someone um, just having a healthier life. So I think that remi remembering that and, and, and telling that to your people goes a very, very, very long way in this moment. Yeah. And I just remember a, a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago um, with another guest on the podcast and Uh, I, I like to repeat it because it was just like uh, enlightening um, in, in, the, in the work, even in the workspace, right? If you get there uh, and you are physically hurt, um, broken leg, broken arm, whatever, uh, you're, you're not going to work, right? Uh, everyone is going to say, hey, what's what's going on with you? What, how, can I, how can I help you with your broken leg, right? And um, But with the, all this... Um, mental aspects that that plays into our mental well-being and everyone with we're not taking that so serious until now and probably in this context of getting connected more connected to to others and and building better relationships this is also really really important like right? uh, to have this uh mental well-being like really implement in the in the company culture and and, and this care, caring attitude uh, toward the people i work with No. Yeah, I mean, burnout is is so real. I mean, it's it. You know, some people say it's like kind of the new workplace injury, right? No. The unseen workplace it injury. It, it, it mm. really is, and you know, it's not solvable by one thing, but it's certainly solvable by giving people less work, right? I'm so surprised when the talk about burnout. You know, there's all of these things people talk about, and you know, some of them are very valid, like a four day work week. I, I support that. Um, a lot of the data shows that people are just as effective and more, frankly, more effective, more productive, more engaged, get the same amount done, if not more working only four days as then bullshitting on the fifth day, right? Or bullshitting up, up a good part of the other five days a week, right? If people know, okay, I'm going to get Friday off or Monday off, I'm going to get my work done. Um, people are very responsible, but you know, It's, I'm very surprised that so many people with a burnout conversation, they say, oh yeah, we're doing this wellness day and we have a mindfulness teacher or yoga teacher but they never say we're just going to give less work <laughs> we're just going to and that's really the solution right yeah. and 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 that we're going to care for people more but we're going to give less work we're just going to actually give out less work i mean okay that's, just cut cut, cut off all the bullshit uh, things that you're doing all yes, the pretending at work right, or and, cut and, meetings that don't need to happen or cut a report that doesn't really need to happen there's so much exactly. of this stuff And people don't want to admit it because then they feel like, oh, well, then my job's going to be in question. It's like, no, it's not. Just yeah. give less work. So uh, that would be a forward-thinking way to approach it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Miley, any closing thoughts from your side, some advice, some, some um, thing that you would like to give, give, uh, give a head for, for the audience? Um, 
So then we wrap it up with that. Yeah, I would say um, that just to remember, you know, when it comes to this topic, I really kind of believe, you know, you're not alone. Um, you know, with loneliness, I think uh, that was something I realized with writing this book. Like, uh, people all over the the world are are dealing with this. Um, you're not alone. Um, reach out to someone to talk to, um, and that we're not going to solve this alone. We, you know, yeah. this is going. This is this is a topic that you know permeates every aspect of society, and we really need to kind of build these bridges and work together to solve it. Um, and you're we're kind of like creating you know, many, many kind of, you know, networks of, of people that are, are out, you know, human connection kind of, um, leaders, you want to call them leaders, you could call them facilitators, you could call them, um, builders, community builders, whatever. We need people like that everywhere in all organizations, freelancers, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, digital nomads, people that work at huge companies, people that work at startups, like it's all, everyone is, Hi, everyone is on the team. Like, it needs to be on board, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be like one person or or one czar, right? That figures mm-hmm. this out. So, just mm-hmm. to kind of um, remind ourselves of that, that this is this is kind of a one of those problems that requires people doing work at different levels all of the time. And I think that that maybe makes it a little bit more. Well, A, that's intimidating, but it also maybe makes it a little bit more like, oh, wow, like this is bigger than just me. And it's like, yes, it is. It really is is. bigger than just you. Yeah. Smiley, thank you very much for for all your insights and and thoughts about that. Uh, I really appreciate that uh, sharing from your side. Um, If people want to know more about your work, uh, probably you want to get you as a speaker. How how can they connect with you? What what should they do? How, How can they find out more? Yeah, please um, connect with me on my website, smileypazwalski.com. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn, Adam Smiley Pazwalski. And yeah, check out my books. You can get them wherever books are sold. Th- those would be the best places. Yeah. We're going to link all that. And I hope um, when your next book is coming up, uh, we can probably get connected uh, uh, oh, yeah. physical on, on, on the virtual front. And uh, I'm going to visit you on, uh, at your place. You're not so far away. And right. we do a, we do a real life uh, show with real hugging and all this around. <laughs> That'd and, be uh, awesome. Getting, getting, getting connected. Or uh, a show in forward. Mexico. Yeah. Or show in Mexico. Yeah. I, whatever comes first, <laughs> you let me know. Okay. Smiley, thank you very much and uh, see you around. Okay. Cheers. Back we are from a deep dive into the world of friendship and connectedness. Do you feel the urge to connect or reconnect with a dear friend or coworker? Go ahead. Do it now. It will work. Scientifically proven. Grab also a copy of Smiley's book and learn even more about how to build meaningful connections and friendships and fight loneliness. Find the link in the show notes below. We hope you found this session helpful and you have now some new tools and insights how to create a better workplace for the future. What have you missed in this episode? How can we do better? Let us know in the comments and reviews. And as always, before you leave, hit the subscribe button, give us a thumb up and share this session around with your friends and colleagues. Your action helps us to grow this show and keep you informed and updated on trending topics about the future of work. On behalf of the team here at the Virtual Frontier, I want to thank you for listening today. So until the next episode, keep exploring your frontiers.